Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello and welcome, Recorded Historians. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Recorded History with TheRecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of some of your favourite musical heroes and theirs. Over the course of this series, I'll be speaking to some sensational musicians, writers, artists, broadcasters, creatives, and this week, comedians, about the three records that have come to define their lives. Now, again, as I say, week in, week out, this isn't one of those podcasts that pushes the glasses up your nose and gets all snotty and clever about the best records of all time. No, no, no. There's plenty of those around. No, no. This is a podcast for everyone, where we celebrate the person personal relationship people have with the music that they really listen to. So, expect some unexpected choices, forgotten favourites from across the musical spectrum, from rock to house to pop to dance and whatever you're having yourself. So, to this week's guest on the podcast, a man I have been looking forward to meeting, not to mention interviewing, for some time now, Mr. Michael Fry, very much uh, at the forefront of this so-called new wave of comedy, the internet comedians, that he is very much a part of and a leading light in. He came into our lives, it just feels like he's been around for years, but it's only been five years, in 2018, when he started making his videos in his bedroom and just throwing them up on Twitter for a bit of crack and maybe a couple of likes. Even he didn't realise the stratospheric heights that his comedy, his brilliant comedic brain, would bring him. He brings so much joy and happiness to so many of us. And he tells his story beautifully here. It's a really great insight for any comedy nerds out there like myself. We get into it here about, I suppose, the genesis of the internet comedian phenomenon, how he goes about writing his material, what it means to him, you know, and he really gets very honest and very brave here about his own troubles and struggles with his own mental health, how he navigates all that but whilst being, as they say, terminally online, that is where he makes his money and reaches his fame. How does he do it all? You know, if you do suffer, like so many of us do with anxiety, how do you manage to marry both of those and keep a sane head on your shoulders? And he does. He manages it somehow. We talk about, of course, you know, his upbringing in Navin, the influence his brother had on him kind of an anti-influence, if you will, how much of his music he didn't listen to because of pure spite (laughs) with his relationship with his brother. You know, how things have gone for him so quickly and so well and what his plans are for the future. His three musical choices are sublime, as you'd expect, uh, from somebody who's so musical. So hopefully you'll enjoy listening to the great Michael Fry as much as I did chatting to him. Here he is. All right, we are getting in to the recorded history of, as I've just described there in my intro, which I haven't recorded in front of my guest, I think out of politeness and mutual Irish embarrassment. It is Mr. Michael Fry. Michael. Hi. Thanks How for are you? Me. I'm great. I'm great. I'm doing well. Doing it, okay. You are doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're doing very well. I've been busy, yeah. And I know how busy you are because you made sure to tell me repeatedly in the lead up to this. But I really appreciate you taking the time because you are one of the busiest people in the business at the moment. So for you to sit down and go through some of your incredible choices here today, just as this is something we discussed off mic, but excuse the pun now, but it is Michael. 
Yes, yes, it is. It's Michael Fry. Michael Fry. But yeah. you're known. We won't go. We won't name the name. But yeah. you're known to your. Oh, friends it, it's out there. It's not a secret. It's how, how Keith Lemon is Lee Francis for what? You know, yeah. Or well, hold on. Stop the tape. Uh, <laughs> it's Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. To, to your friends and family. Yeah. And I've seen one or two not conflicting stories as to why you changed. But can you tell the listeners now that may not know the story? Yeah. Of recorded history, why Michael Fry? I was working on a grad program for a public body. So I was working for Tourism Ireland and they had quite a strict social media policy. And I was like dicking around on Twitter. So I was like, what's more separate than having a, set, a different name? And the videos I was doing, I chose Michael because Michael is one of those common names in Ireland. And it just sounds funny when you say it. Like My own father was called Michael, yeah. Yeah, I've been, like, I went through my own family tree and it's they're all about Michael, Patrick or John. Oh, yeah. We have three names. So I was kind of like, pick that. And then Fry, I actually had Big Dirty Fry as a username before any of it. And that was just a random... That was just because it was funny. Yeah. I was like, I typed it in, I was like, oh, no one has it. Oh, I'm having that. And then didn't think it would actually play anything. And the two words collide. Yeah, yeah. And was there anything to do with, because you were dealing with some issues regarding the North or the North of Ireland and the Troubles, that you wanted to keep a little bit more for security reasons? I'm not really, I'm not particularly sectarian. I'm not really, do you know? So it was just more that... I misread that then. Yeah, it was just more that, say, a public representative or a public body or somebody might take issue with something I might criticise or talk about or joke about, you know? When actually my humour is pretty bland and it's not particularly... And your boss came up to you and, is this you? And they didn't have an issue with it. Yeah, I just, I was just like, hey, so I went, I've gone viral. He's like, and then he was like looking through it all. I'd go to a doctor. If yeah, <laughs> he was just like, this is actually really funny. So fair play. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and he was like, look, people have lives outside of work. So for all intents and purposes, it is. And again, as I said, if someone shouted Michael across the street, yeah. you would, you'd twist your head. Oh, at this point, it's been like five years since I started. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, Michael, uh, thank you again for taking the time. Obviously, you're known as a, I suppose, megastar musically around the world for your indie music <laughs> and parodies. And I was very intrigued to see your choices for your recorded history. For the first time on the podcast, you yeah. sent me the list of the albums that didn't make it. Yeah, So yeah. I'll just go through some of them. We could do a whole series on these. Oh, yeah. A Fever Dream by Everything Everything. First Prize Bravery by Circa Richardson. Excellent choice. I See You by The XX. You've got Bleach by Nirvana. An Awesome Wave. All J's in there. Hot Fuss by The Killers. Deep Cuts by The Knife. Tracy Chapman by Tracy Chapman. Yeah. These are the ones that didn't make it. These are the ones, yeah. And I did labour over it. I think we could have had a completely different set than I, I know. actually chose. It changes, doesn't it? With yeah, but it depends on who's asking you and what. I wanted to get a spread of genres and times in my life and all that mm. kind of stuff. But the ones I picked, I think are the ones I knew the best. But I think you can see from those ones where I get my sound from. Like, I was going to get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's you know, the XX or whatever. I think I, I couldn't find a specific album by Hot Chip, The Horrors and The Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's that I was big into or that I would have chosen for this, yeah. but I love that. Anything they do, I love. And I think by the knife, yeah. there's a lot of the knife in your... The side. knife is... Yeah, exactly. So it's like you can pull... You, you can tell where I got certain sounds yeah, of yeah. what I like. Where your you know? wheelhouse is. Where my wheelhouse is. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> we, we will get straight into it. Let's start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The year is 2009. Michael Fry, what is the very first entry into your recorded history? It is the eponymous debut by LaRue. Ah, yes. And that's my only chance I'll ever get to use the word eponymous, so I'm taking it. Uh, <laughs> Say it nightly, even yeah. if it isn't. <laughs> the eponymous album by Nirvana, it's never mind. So why this particular? So it's LaRue, it is the debut, well, it is the debut album, isn't yeah. it? From Duo at the time. Yeah. Not since, they've since changed. It was Ben Langmaid and obviously Ellie Jackson. Yeah. So why have you chosen this as your first pick? I think it's because it was the first time I got properly excited and I found something that I liked and it didn't matter if anybody else around me liked it. I still loved it. Yeah. And what I did when I 
listened to the album first, I went looking. It was like the, when I had the internet at my disposal as well. Wow. So it was that kind of thing of, okay, who's like this? And then you go through the Wikipedia page of your artist and it tells you their influences and what genres they are. So you click in, you go down rabbit holes of different genres or whatever. So through the uh, La Rue, I found The Knife. I found, yeah. uh, what are they called? Uh, La Tigre. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because it was, a, it was like, I was looking at different genres of synth music. So synth pop and then the synth punk. And what, did you bring is, it back to the likes of Yazoo, then Eurythmics? Yeah, did, yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. The first album by a Depeche Mode, Speak and Spell, that this actually draws pretty heavily from. Now I listen to it back. So stuff like that, I really like electronic music. Like when I was younger, I was big into, say, the X Factor and stuff like that, like kids are. And then you watch the Brit Awards and it's like Critics' Choice of the Brits. And I found Florence the Machine through that because she was like giving Critics' Choice one year. And I thought I was a real hipster because, do you know, she wasn't massive at the time, but yeah, then suddenly yeah. exploded. And I think LaRue, I don't know if they were nominated for the Mercury Prize. or They weren't nominated for the Mercury. Weren't. Actually okay. won Grammy as well. Yes. For the album. So 2009, can you, what age were you then? If you're I was 15. 15, so yeah. right in the bullseye yeah, of yeah. your musical awakening. That's it. And I think when you were, were talking to Seamus, it was that, th- Seamus Riley. it's that thing of the thing you like the most or the thing you're most attached to is something you liked when you're 14. Yeah. And I think that fits It's been scientifically proven yeah. since. Yeah. It's since the same as it, um, no, but it has sitcoms. Been. I saw someone say the same thing. And for me, it's like Peep Show because I started watching Peep Show when I was 14. So it's like, you have a connection to these things. And I know LaRue is not, say, lyrically amazing. I know it's a bit cringe and it's a bit embarrassing. And it's like when I was in, because I, I went to an all-boys secondary school and it's not the kind of thing you would say you would really like in that environment. You wouldn't have it scrawled in your school bag. Do kids still do that? I don't know. I'm sure they did. Did you do it? I mean, you're, you're... No, I didn't. No. Because the... <laughs> well, I used to write on my runners yeah. for some reason. Okay. I know. I would have yeah. been murdered if I did that. Oh, yeah, so, of course. Sorry. Yeah, that, I think that was probably mainly it. I didn't have posters in my room or anything. My mom was very much, no, don't do any of that. But yeah, yeah, it was. I was never going to write that down. I loved like Mika a couple of years earlier, which is you know when you listen to when you know it's a funny one. It had yeah. absolute bangers for That's about that, that, and that then... one album, and it's the same with Larue. Really, she didn't really come back once no. the the producer left. You know, split with him, and then released an album since. It hasn't gone to plan, I don't think. And there's, I think she's had a very tough time with the record label. Yeah, there's been well. two of them. So there's mm. Trouble in Paradise in 2014, yeah. and I was buzzing. I couldn't believe it. So when I listened to it, I was like, oh, but it was. Like, to be fair to her, she produced a lot of it herself, Trouble in Paradise, but it goes into this kind of disco kind of guitar kind of stuff that I just didn't find very exciting. Automatic Driver is a a better album, I think, but it's still quite, it just doesn't live up to the same icy, hook-heavy, like, synth pop. It's funny you you mentioned the word icy, because when I was reading reviews of LaRue from in and around the time 2009, Mm. most of them quite positive. A little sniffiness, Uh which I think you've alluded to there. Yeah, yeah. Little sniffiness. But the common thread throughout was a temperature gaze. They all said it's quite cold. And then, because I hadn't listened to the album for a couple of years, this is one of the great things about this podcast. It gives me a chance to. Yeah. And in a later choice of yours, to hear an album for the first time, was to go back and go, oh, I think that's a little harsh. I think obviously it's all keyboards. It's all synth. Yeah, you which know. I loved. I had a keyboard myself at home. Okay. So it was like, you could actually recreate, I think, Bulletproof. It might have been had the same kind of song bit in the background. Is it difficult to recreate Bulletproof? It isn't, it's not no. a hard, it's like, I've gone through all of the songs, like I know the chords to most of the songs in the album because I was obsessed with it. So it's it's not hard to replicate it. Like I understand it's not particularly, you know, it's not like 6-8 time or not even 6, it's not like Bjork or it's not Radiohead or whatever. I completely understand that. I get what people, matter, though. you know. I think it's yeah. her voice though. Listen, yeah. Okay. I don't think she's got this, people compare it to Annie Lennox. I think it's a little unfair on Ellie to compare it to Annie Lennox. Okay. The power and the range that Annie Lennox has even. But her voice with 
it's almost synthy itself, isn't it? There's a yeah. kind of a brittleness to it. And there's so many great songs. Bulletproof is an absolute, to this day, an absolute banger. Uh-huh. It's timeless. Yeah. But the songs like Cover My Eyes, yeah. there's a real vulnerability I to how she song. sings. And yeah. I think it contrasts really beautifully with the very cold, angular production here on the keys and on the synths. Yeah. And there's a, there is a kind of a clash there that I think works for the most part. Mm-hmm. How often would you listen to this album now? Even? Quite regularly. Yeah. Do you know, it's something I put on when I'm cleaning. Because it was it's something I used to do when I was at home and I put it on in my room, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the first song I heard from it was Aim for the Kill. And my brother course, yeah. showed me it. And it's just, it's it wasn't like anything I'd heard before. It was like, I don't know, like my pupils dilated and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I absolutely moment. adored it. And you were saying there that on your own musical, I suppose, output exploits with your... Sorry, is there a name on... The band? No, I haven't got one. You haven't got um, one. Were you ever tempted to name? I was because like I'm on tour at the moment with Killian Sunderman, yeah. and I put on my indie playlist or my whatever it is, and Killian was saying to people, he was like, "Oh, Michael, I didn't actually realize you liked it this much." Because every so often in the car, I'd be like, oh, have you heard of, and he said, oh, Michael would be like, have you heard of Table Manners? <laughs> I like, so I love the idea of giving him a stupid name like that. Sorry, just drinking you my know? coffee. <laughs> so it's, yeah, just, I haven't, I've thought about giving them a really stupid, like, indie name, yeah. like people used to do, but like, it's just funnier when you don't, because okay. people can speculate on it. And you were heavily influenced in that sound by all these bands, the likes of, and you're a Black Party fan, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. So and Black I went Party, to see that them. kind of math rock. Isn't yeah, it? but, but visually Block Party yeah. because I remember I went to see them in the Olympia in like 2012, 13 and the bass player was there and he was so miserable. Yeah. Like he was so cool. <laughs> he was pissed off and I just think that is... There was a whole raft of those bands. Yeah. Or even you listed interviews that like say Johnny Burrell or these yeah. people and it's oh I don't want a phone and I'm all this I'm cool. It's quite a dated thing. It's but quite it's, affected isn't it's it? It's so ridiculous. I was involved in an interview with Block Party in around the same time. Yeah. I played, is this how long ago it was? Oxygen even. Yeah okay. And the guy that I was producing, Paul, actually, Paul McLuhan, was interviewing them. And I can't remember who it was, spent the entire interview. And Kelly was lovely. Yeah. But the other guy spent it folding meticulously a T-shirt, like almost in an origami act of complete passive aggression. Okay. And I was, why is he, how is he still folding that? He was actively not taking part yeah, yeah. or giving anything of himself. But he made sure to fold his T-shirt to within an inch of its thread. Yeah, it's, I don't, I've never understood that attitude of just being like, being a dick to people who are interested in, you know, it's how people hear your music is by you doing interviews and press. Yeah. I just don't get I think they're that. trying to feed into, I suppose, an ecosystem and a persona, isn't it? That yeah, yeah. It's disaffected. Oh, I don't care. You know, but it's, anyway, look, thankfully it's old hat. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone that I've spoken to on this podcast has, and yourself included, has been nothing but warmth and openness. Yeah. Uh, to go back to your upbringing in Navan, yeah. what was the house like musically? What were you surrounded with? Oh, so my older brother, me and him are very different. So anything he liked, I automatically didn't like. Okay, and then he would brothers. play it through the wall. Yeah. So I was tormented by Arctic Monkeys and Kanye West. And I do like both of those things. I don't now because of what he was like around it, you know? Um, and it was like Arctic Monkeys' first album, I think is brilliant. I really like that. one of the greatest debut albums of its generation. Incredible. And, you know, Look, Kanye has featured in my top artists in years gone by. Maybe not so much recently, but say like uh, Jesus and and Saint Pablo are on his day a genius. Love those, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was him, and then my younger brother did piano. I also did piano, but I wasn't allowed to do music in school. You my parents allowed. Yeah. Why? My parents made me do Latin. And they have their own reasons So you grew for up it. in 1812, was it? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you have little kind of velvet, what do they call them, pantaloons? 
Yeah. <laughs> Little Lord Fauntleroy. No, I went to Colm O'Rourke's secondary school. And the Tommy Tiernan's yeah, and that Dylan one, yeah. Lawrence. Yeah. So the, it's called, it's a classical school because they teach Latin. But when you go in, you're streamed into music, woodwork, or Latin. And most sensible people's parents are like, we'll give you a practical skill or you like music, let's do that. And then there was this maybe core group of maybe 16 of us who did Latin who just couldn't convince our parents to let us move over. Wow. So, do you still remember much of it now? A good bit. It actually yeah. did help. I did languages in college, so Spanish and Latin are very similar, obviously. So, like, it helped. I'm not, I don't regret doing it, of but course. I obviously yeah. just regret the choice that was made, <laughs> considering I now make it's music. It's quite a stark choice. Do you want to have yeah. music in your life? What if just something you like, or yeah. do you know what I mean? But I let my little brother do it, which I'm not bitter about at all. But uh, That helps yeah. <laughs> uh, family relations nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, I can't remember what your question was. But yeah. uh, nor can I, but yeah. I think it brings me to a good place now, mm. actually. My next question, thanks mm. for that, was the school, mm. notable, as we've mentioned. Uh-huh. A bit of a kind of a hotbed for comedic talent. You've got, obviously, as we mentioned, Tommy Dillamore and Hector was in your school. My cousin Patrick went to your school. Oh, for, I love Patrick. Patrick O'Donnell, of course. Yeah. There is a creative streak in that school, but it's quite a sporty school. Your creative tendencies, maybe, I think you were a bit of a theatre kid, were you? I did it outside. Now, outside, yeah. listen, I went to a good school, Yeah. but that element of my personality was not explored, or nor did I feel able to. That's explore what, it. So you weren't, you didn't feel comfortable that no, it was a receptive place. It was a football school, express, yeah. and particularly mid two thousands, quite just the atmosphere in general. I mean, you ever watch the In Betweeners and you see how they joke with each other and the stuff they call each other? It's horrendously offensive nowadays. <laughs> but it's just the two thousands were quite a homophobic time and quite. Yeah. I was never bullied, but it's just the atmosphere was very much like anything you like. If you express interest in something that maybe isn't the norm, it makes you are gay, yeah. and that is the worst thing you can be. You know that kind of thing. So. Isn't it amazing? I, I went yeah. through that as well to mm. have any kind of genuine passion for something outside hurling or football. Yeah, I recall this. Not it just coming into my head. It was a music a touring musical theatre group. I don't know to come around to schools, and they were doing the whole, "Hey, if you don't take drugs, yeah, you know, yeah. and we're all sitting there, and then there was some songs, and they, they asked this class to clap along." And everyone just, you know, you clapped along. Yeah, yeah. But it was about five or six of us who felt to clap along to the song would be gay. <laughs> but so we sat there with our arms folded. And I was like, like I, my arms twitched because this is quite a good song. Yeah, yeah, And I was yeah, like, yeah. I better not clap in public for fear that I'd get a dead leg or a dead arm yeah. or be called. That's, but see, Isn't na- that just absolutely... Like Navin as a place, like the sense of humour isn't particularly reciprocal is what I would say. Is that people can say things to you and as long as they're happy with what they've said it doesn't matter how you respond it's not a two way street no it's not and like that's I think that's why a lot of us I you know I don't know about the other guys I didn't have a teacher that this was big into drama or anything my captain, my captain, I, I captain think some of them did I didn't it wasn't in my wheelhouse but I think Navin yeah, the sense of humour or whatever I think it gives you a thick skin and I think you, it means you can come back with stuff and being funny is actually quite important and did for, that toughen you up for the business you're in now do you think or I think in probably. Any way prepare you. I think it does make me very vigilant. But I think, yeah, I think in secondary school, like that part of me pretty much died and didn't come back until I left oh secondary school God. and was around not just boys anymore. Do you know what I mean? It was not boys' school. So, like, do you know what I mean? Like, once you come out of that environment where you realize, God, this isn't normal and people don't behave like this. If you can survive this. Yeah. Is it? You, you come out of it and you're like, oh, people are actually much nicer than I ever thought they could be. And then you got involved in the internet. And then, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just on the accent, as we're listening to it yeah. now, your mother's Donegal and your father's from Salford. Yes. So again, I'm not trying to shoehorn my own life into yours, but my parents weren't, for, I grew up in Cork. My yeah. mother's Limerick, father Monaghan. And we grew, I grew up in England for part mm-hmm. of my life. But was that kind of, I suppose, hotchpotch accent soup 
that mm. you grew up in, for the want of a better expression. Yeah. You don't have a particularly strong of an accent. No, I don't. My mother was very adamant I did. Did you go to elocution lessons? No. Okay. Now, so my mum went to train in Scotland to be a nurse. And when she arrived there, it was people who couldn't understand her. Okay. So it was very much, be very clear so people can understand She's you. She's right. At least. Yeah, look. But now I sound like Ryan Tuberty. But it must yeah. help with, because you're so good at the accents, to have that neutral canvas mm. to, from which to start. Oh yeah, I think it does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, like we grew up watching UTV and BBC and stuff like watching. You wouldn't have known. Like, no, that wouldn't have. Heavily influenced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, it does help. Absolutely. And my dad, being from Salford, was around all the cool Joy Division, all those, you know, the Smiths, all that kind of era when right. that was happening in the 80s, 70s, 80s or whatever. He has a lot of cool CDs in his collection. And we ever drawn to that kind of... Manchester, Smitsy, kind of. Joy Division vibe. I mean, see, my brother got to it first and then I didn't oh want to. So, so the Stone Roses, I was like, oh no, okay. But then he listened to back, this is actually very You would good. actually go, no, even as good as they are, I refuse because he got there first. Yeah, like even saying away. Brotherly love. And yeah, just, I don't know, just has had a, spite has had a big impact on my music taste, I think. <laughs> Listen, as it all, all, always should, I think. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to 2018. So you're in as you mentioned earlier, you were involved Tourism Ireland, you're a graduate program, mm. and you started to make these videos mm-hmm. in your room at night yeah. as a kind of an outlet. You just threw them up on, yeah, yeah. on the internet. I, I think because I was, yeah, like my job was interesting, but I lived in a town. Yeah. It wasn't, and I'd done the student thing, but I was living with students again. I couldn't drive. You're in Coleraine. Yeah, just, it was very isolating. Whatever, like my work, it was, we did some cool stuff. We did a lot of video projects or music videos okay. and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was just kind of something to do in the evenings. And I thought I'll make this small following of people who I've had for years join together and, and laugh at this stuff. And it just snowballed and snowballed. And suddenly Blind Boy had retweeted it. And Kevin Bridges said it was class. And then it was just suddenly like, oh, wow, I have 5,000 followers when I had 400 like two weeks ago. Really rapid. And oh, God, what am I going to do? But I don't know. I just, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And then suddenly I got hired by Joe, the, That's right. the publisher, which is a good place to be. And I did loads of interesting stuff there. And yeah, I'm full-time now as a comedian for about two years. I want to get to your second record, actually, because uh-huh. it's of the three. Yeah. My own personal favourite. Yeah, you don't yeah. Mind me picking one of your three as a favourite. And I apologise in advance if I burst into tears. Even thinking about this, <laughs> makes my heart weep. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Fry, it's 2015. We are now at the juncture of your second record in your recorded history. What is it? It's Carrie and Lowell by Southgate <laughs> Stevens. <laughs> And I was surprised nobody had picked it yet. Yeah. Or I actually don't know. Sorry, I don't know. No, you no, they haven't, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, oh, it's such an obvious one because it's so good. But it's beautiful. It's As in, like, again, it's one of the ones I will play the whole way through, no skips, and I will know what song it is by the first opening two notes. So. It's his seventh album, 2015. Carrie and Lowell, the name of his mother and stepfather. stepfather yeah, yeah. And in typical Sufjan Stevens style, a very raw, honest album about his relationship with his mother. Yeah. Left the family home. He was one, I think. She had a very troubled life and his relationship with her was equally as fragmented. And the album very much obviously doesn't deal with his, dealing with her death and the complicated feelings that that throws up. Yeah. I think he's a genius. Mm-hmm. I honestly think he's a genius. Each album has its own different flavor. I got to Sophie and Stevens through, so many of us did, through Illinois. And for me, it's again, it's quite hooky. You it know? is quite hooky. It is. Yeah. And it's, what really bothers me about music sometimes or musicians is that for something to be good music or a good song, it has to be technically impressive and in seven, eight time or that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, we look at something like this and it's just this beautiful kind of pure expression of how he felt. And I've never gone through a loss like that 
I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't have a complicated relationship with my mother. But you can hear it even come through in the, the instrumentation, even say the first song. I think it's Death with Dignity. And it's yeah. quite, a, quite a light kind of song. But then at the very end of it, there's these kind of synth bits where it goes slow and it goes lower and lower and lower. And you realize, oh, I'm having a happy memory. But then I remember she's gone. And I remember the, the hard stuff about it. And it's, do you know, it's Sorry, so it's, nice. I yeah. even thinking about this. That's the thing. Like, really, I would say really Fourth of July is one of my favorite songs That's ever. That was, because, that was my choice as well. Yeah, because it's it's about storybooks and it's about all that kind of stuff and then realizing your mother's gone. So, sorry, I was like, I don't want to cry. No, but like you've been thinking about yeah. it and I was on the train listening to this earlier yeah, yeah. and I've lost, my mother passed away a couple yeah. of years ago and I suppose, I, subconsciously now that I'm saying it out loud and I didn't think about this on the train mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, I used to love this album. Yeah. I used to love it. Yeah, Why yeah. Why haven't I? gone back there and I right. now know yeah. it's probably talking to you now Yeah, it yeah. really gets under the skin of your heart you always get tricked into going oh it's mm. so so pretty and lovely and then you yeah. go what's he saying again because I know in Illinois he's got a, the most beautiful song about a serial killer I've ever heard Yeah, it yeah. is so delicate and stunning and melodic and hooky uh-huh. and then you're going oh no you go, John Wayne Gacy Jr. Yeah. Going, yeah he's a unique and intriguing character Sufjan he's I don't want to say reclusive, maybe he's a little pejorative or unfair and even condescending, but he keeps very much away. He eschews any of the limelight, the nonsense, mm. the noise that goes with fame. Mm. When he just wants to release the music and just do the Homer Simpson into the hedge, mm. away from all the noise and any possible yeah. pain and anguish that that might call, cause. And I suppose, not to get into it too deeply or heavy with you, that you've the world you've chosen to ply your trade in, uh-huh. let's just say isn't notorious for being the greatest when it comes to protecting your mental health. You've spoken quite openly and honestly about suffering from social anxiety before. Uh-huh, yeah. But was my concern, not my concern, but my question is that how are you navigating the notoriously ferocious and unkind world of the internet? I know that you are so popular, uh-huh. so beloved that, but coupled with someone that does, like most of us do, suffer from anxiety, is that something that you've found difficult or have you gotten the knack of it already? I think I live quite a charmed existence on the internet as a man and as a white man and as a cisgender man. Do you know what I mean? I do not get the same level of shit as my... I've never seen one. Yeah. One bad like one. The same as my, like my female colleagues, just people who do the same job as me, but they will get aggressive sexual messages in their DMs. It doesn't happen to me. I've never felt at risk personally, anything like that. So people might get mad at you and they might criticise you or whatever, but I don't really get abuse. But at the same time, I spent most of my 20s feeling scared. And the reason I've done online stuff rather than going straight into stand-up or whatever is because I was scared. You know that kind of thing? And I'm looking back now, nearly 30, and I'm like, man, I wasted so much time. Do you think so? Yeah, I think, think, I th- yeah. particularly my university years and particularly my secondary school years and stuff like that, where there's loads of things I didn't do because I thought I was a bad person. Oh. And now it's kind of, I'm not a bad person. You know, and I'm kind of realizing that there's... Yeah, all those kind of things in your head from before, from people in your childhood, from school and from all that kind of baggage, it doesn't actually matter once you get out of it. And it's, yeah, people are much nicer than I ever thought they could be. So I'm, yeah, I'm having this thing where I'm like, do you know what? I'm going to back myself because really there's nothing I've done that's so bad that that people don't want to listen to me or do you know that kind of thing? It's that kind of, yeah. you just, I feel like it's important to like yourself and I'm only starting to like myself very recently. And that's, I think the first person I've ever heard who has, as I say, been so online as you are with your career, come out with a positive take that 
it's actually helped them. Yeah. With their oh, it has. Confidence and I would, sense of self-worth. If I hadn't gotten the feedback on Twitter, I never would have done it. How reliant are you on that feedback, do you think? Is there a danger, for example, you put up, you spend a lot of time on these music parody. What do you call them? I would call them music parodies. Music yeah, parodies, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I just, yeah, <laughs> let's get the nomenclature right. Yeah, but yeah. These music parodies that you put so much time, you're, first of all, we'll get to it as well. Yeah. You're an incredibly musician. <laughs> it can be forgotten and overlooked, but you're very good, which helps. But you put up a video, we'll say, at what stage do you check how it's doing? And do you have like a, a cutoff point in your head that once it passes that, it's like pointless, that TV show. <laughs> and yeah. it has to hit a certain past a point that you go, okay, I'm not going to feel bad about this. Now it's reached 10,000 or yeah. 15,000. Yeah. To live your life that way, is that perilous for you? I think it's, there is a high score element to it and it's a game and you almost don't even think about people. If you think about, you know, say some of the songs that I've done, one of them got 39,000 likes. When you think about 39,000 people, you don't it's think stadium. it's... stadium. Yeah, that's incredible, you know? But to me, it's a high score and I'm like, I could do better than that. So it's a competitive thing with myself. Now, sometimes you get something and it maybe does a thousand or maybe does 700 or something. But it's more that can you look back at it and be like, no, that I thought that was funny. And I don't, do you know what I mean? It's like, in general, my sense of humor does match up with lots of other people's. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, I'm glad I did that because that's really funny. And sometimes you get people, I did the Ivy Gardens there last year. And this woman came up to me and she was like, I really loved when you did that stupid cover of Auld Lang Syne, which maybe got 600 likes or something. And I'm like, so that was the one she chose. <laughs> yeah, which is like, sometimes people come to you with random you lines or know. things you did that weren't that popular. And if, you if know? with a seven or 600 one, yeah. would that skew your direction then? You go, oh, that didn't work. I'm not going to go there again. Or have yeah. you built up that reserve of self-confidence in your art that you'll go, no, I'm going to keep going until, mm. or would you revert back then to the 36,000? to more sure ground. Yeah, I think it's important to keep experimenting because yeah. I've never wanted to be siloed. I never wanted to be the radio sketches guy or the Irish mammy guy or the song guy. Do you know, I, I keep trying to do different things all the time and stand-ups do that as well. As in like, when you try new material out, you might go do it and then it doesn't get that good of a reception so you're like, I'll alter that or maybe I'll cut it next time. But it doesn't mean you don't do it because it might get, mightn't get the reaction. It's something I've often wondered with comedians mm. that if a joke doesn't land yeah. Perceivably. Now, obviously, it doesn't, it's no reflection on the quality of the joke. And you'll go back and you finesse it and yeah. you'll try and work on it. Or you just go, no, that's not the joke's fault. Yeah. And that is a struggle. I'm so fascinated with comedians. So sometimes it's something that you think is funny. So I do this thing with Killian where he's on stage doing stand up when I'm off stage and I come on as silly characters and we swap around. But <laughs> we have this thing where I'm like, I love when he does an impression of me because he's on oh, Michael's backstage being like, what's going on? And he does like the worst Northern accent you've ever heard. No one laughs at it, but he'll hear me backstage being like, no, yeah. <laughs> that one's for you. Yeah. yeah. So there's bits like that where you're like, no, I think this is funny because it's so fucking stupid that we keep doing it. Like and that. how was the transition from, mm. I suppose there's a certain protection, isn't it, when you're in complete control yeah. of your own material, you're recording it, you're editing it, you're writing it, obviously. You're, yeah, yeah. And then you put it out yourself. Yeah. And then you run away and you go, no. And just see how it goes. But there is that obviously physical and therefore emotional distance that you can keep between you and your fans. But to make that leap to doing live yeah. performance and stand up and to bring your comedy to flesh and blood people that you can see with your own eyes. Mm. How was that? For years, I was like, I'll never do live. Yeah. It's not for me. That and was the fear again, was it? Yeah, that's purely what it is. Yeah. And I did this. We did our first one one year ago, myself and Killian in, I think it was one of the distilleries. 
and we had 65 people there who knew us from from online or whatever. And I got a taxi to the venue and I we went past Houston Station and I was like, I could just get out and get on the train and leave. And I was like, no, we're doing this. Yeah. We're doing it because it's hard. And once you do it, you feel a lot better and you'll say, oh yeah, I tried that and it worked or it didn't work, but it worked, do you know? And it's, it's kind of like, it's now a huge part of what I do. So I'm like that with everything now where it's, let's try that. And if it works, great. That's another thing I can do, you know? But it's hard. It is, it's that, it's the live embarrassment. It's the thing that you're going to get booed off stage or that kind of thing. But no, I mean, our instincts are good. It's different. The rhythm's different. You have to make sure everyone has time to laugh. So you can't just plow through your set and not expect any reaction. Even that, so that yeah. side of things, yeah. So mm. the timing. The rhythm's different, yeah. Yeah, that's um, something that you learn with more and more performance. Yeah. Reading the crowd. And it's like when I do my radio show and then when you DJ live, mm. you're still playing records mm -hmm. as such. But to see them and to feed off that energy of the crowd and it can move your direction this way and that way. That is something that you're learning as you go along. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's when you do live, everyone has to hear every joke. So when you do a video, you can have Easter eggs that people listen back to. There's one of mine at the very beginning I did called The Morning Show with Michael Morning. And one of my favourites. Yeah. <laughs> where basically it's about, the, I'm reading the deaths in like a, a chirpy spin one on three eight way. But when you go back to the start, it's like getting you through the morning period, the most difficult part of the day. You don't know what that is when you first watch it, but the you benefit a rewatch. There's no rewatches when it comes to live comedy. You either, you have to get the joke out. And with your, I have to mention this because I come from a radio background in a radio building. We are indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is your issue with radio? No. Well, I think you're skewering of, I, I can name them, yeah. News Talk, for example. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely on the money. But what was it at that time that kind of, that you were trying to get at. What were you trying to say there? Oh, I think it was that thing, because we were talking about gender balance and radio or whatever, but then you'd have panels full of men. Yeah. That that kind of stuff, the kind of dissonant <sighs> bits or whatever. But I mean, yeah, it was more because my parents listened to loads of it when we were going to school or it was the first thing on in the morning. So I knew the rhythms really well. You know, like Claire Byrne and Ivan Yates used to be on all the time. got it. Because they have, there's a, there's a voice they all do when they're reading stuff out that I just was like, I have to do this. I just think it's funny. And you realize loads of other people grew up listening to the radio as well. So it just... But to have you know. that ear, because I worked in radio, I've listened to radio for most of my life. Yeah. And I was like, he's, that's it. It's not even the words you're saying. It's the cadence. Yeah. It's yeah. the deliveries, the rhythm. But that is exactly, not just news talk, but Irish radio in general. Yeah. I think. And I say that with love. Don't fire me. <laughs> Before I get fired, we're going to move yeah. very swiftly on to your third choice, Michael Fry. Mm -hmm. For your recorded history, and this, as I mentioned before, is a record I had never heard before, to my yeah, great shame, I but now to my great delight, because <laughs> I have listened to it, and I listened yeah. to it again today. What is your third choice? My third choice is Stay Proud of Me by an artist called Noso. What can you tell us about Noso? Noso is an American non-binary artist who came up on my feed recently, I think they're of Korean descent. Yeah, that's right. It came through another Korean musician called St. Lennox, who's American as well. And he won really good song in 2016 or whatever. I'd followed him ever since. But the song from this album is called I'm Embarrassed, I Still Think of You came up on my feed and they were playing it live. Uh, and I was like, God, that's amazing. I had COVID. So I was like, do you know what? I had the time to do a deep dive on this person. And I went through the whole thing and I was like, just listening to it and occasionally intermittently falling asleep because I was really tired and then watching Lord of the Rings. Then I go back to listening to No Snow. Um, <laughs> but it's, Rings, it's yeah. just gorgeous. It's, um, it beautiful, yeah. it's very like, because a lot of my friends were into Mac DeMarco and stuff. So there's that kind of like dreamy, dream pop kind of thing. 
but it's that really nice kind of singer songwritery vocal that I love and their voice is very interesting and it's the same reason I liked Tracy Chapman or I liked Circa Richardson is the kind of very personal singer songwritery bit to it but they include electronic bits and it's incredibly hooky like a hook it's very melodic my a hook is like my thing where it's like if I can sing it back great do you know what I mean that's that's I can do that that's my thing I'm not particularly technically proficient at music but I can write a good hook but I really appreciate a good hook yeah. and loads of these songs you can hum them back and do you know what I mean it's and it's a nice yeah. kind of textured difference between there's some bops on this like, yeah there's beats on this but it's very again dreamy the dream pop element of this is mm. right up my alley yeah because when I listen to stuff like this and they speak so honestly here on some of the songs about the transition mm. transitioning that they're going through yeah and, and that's top surgery and it's very raw it's very honest mm. it's quite powerful and again I think when you're in that kind of dreamy almost through a gauzy filter that's the best time is to mm. lay some heavy punches because feeling a little woozy your defences are down and then you listen to the lyrics, you go, wow. You know, songs like David are on this. Da yeah. yeah, David's a great song. But yeah, it's that thing. I obviously, I'm a cisgender man. I've not had issues with my gender. I'm not yeah. transgender or anything. Um, but there is something you can relate to it in that it's being an outsider and finally coming to the point where you're happy with yourself. And I, I get that, you know, and even though it's a risk to do that and people may, mightn't treat you the same way or whatever. You have to do this for yourself to keep going. I was When I was reading their biography and their backstory, I did go, hmm, I understand now Michael's not too dissimilar. Yeah. You know, that they grew up in a certain small town, suburban. Yeah, 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 yeah. And moved to LA when they were 16 and yeah. it was only then that they were able to feel that their creative pores were able to fully open and yeah. they could find their voice. Yeah. And that the freedom that came with that and then the confidence as people started to receive their work with more and more positivity and the feedback was good that they were able to realize, you know, similar to what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. I think you can I'm tell onto something here. From my from my album choices that I'm probably not a straight man. So I'm yes. yeah, I'm 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 bi, right? Yeah. So a lot of this it's part of that. So LaRue was like this kind of thing I kept hidden when I was in secondary school. And now Listening to this, it's very much like I'm comfortable myself finally. Yeah. And that's what this gives me. But it's also just full of bangers. But I was looking at the comments under David on YouTube, I think, and there's a lot of people being like, oh yeah, I used to do that. As a lot of people have, when they weren't white, have this thing about their eyes. So there's a bit where in David, where the singer's talking about looking at the sun so it would bleach their eyes wow. to be blue and the pinching the nose so they look like David. And it's that, do you know what I mean? And when you look and you think about it, it's like, that actually makes a lot of sense. But Isn't that incredible what you've mm. just said there, really, that this artist, thousands of miles away, yeah, thousands of worlds away, on paper, ostensibly going through a very different... Yeah, very different. Yeah, transition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Physical, yeah. Yeah. emotional, sexual. Yeah. But there you are in Navin. And the Venn diagram of your lives is a lot... Yeah. Those circles are crossed over a lot deeper than you might imagine. Yeah, you know, I get it. Or the, there's, e even outside of the transition stuff, that that song, I'm embarrassed, I feel, think of you. Like at the time, I had been seeing this woman who decided she didn't want to see me anymore. Right. And I was devastated on it for months or whatever. And that's just that line, I'm embarrassed, I still think, of, I can't believe this person's had this impact on me even months later. And I thought that was brilliant. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, I'm not really a big, sad record listener. You know, that kind I of thing. I got that from the, uh, <laughs> from the Sofian. Yeah. Apart from Sofian, yeah. But it's, yeah, it was just, there's so much to this I relate to, even though the experiences are very different. It's the same with Carrie and Lowell. Do you know, I, I've never experienced yeah. grief or loss, 
but I completely get it because of how it's constructed or whatever. But yeah, my, my favorite tracks on this are, I would say, Suburbia, David, I'm embarrassed to think of you, I Feel You, I could just name the whole album, to be honest, like Parasite. Sure, if anyone hasn't you know. heard of the artist, again, the album is by No So. The name comes from North South because they been asked so many times what part of Korea, North or South, yeah. that they've incorporated that into their yeah. stage name or pseudonym. Yeah. The album, again, is Stay Proud of yeah. Me. There's, it is absolutely beautiful. And it's the yeah. best, again, my thoughts are, one of the best ways to listen to this album, if you're on the move, yeah, uh, I listen to this on the train, coming through Tullamore, Port Arlington, you know. Mm-hmm. But it just, it's so ethereal, transportative, if that's a word, it does bring you into another realm. It's just brilliant. It's just such a nice sound. So 2018, that is as of this year now, only five years. Do you consider it a whirlwind? Yeah, yeah. And when people ask me, you, when people ask me, what do you want to do in five years? I don't know because that. five years ago, I had no concept of what a pandemic was. Or, do you know, that I'd be on, like Dairy Girls had only just come out in 2015. And I remember when I was at Joe, there was, I was like, oh, maybe, like I was talking to Nicola Coughlin on Twitter. And she was like, oh, I might be able to get you in as an extra. I was like, oh my God. And I was How focused. was that experience? I wasn't an extra, right? Then it's that I actually got into the last season of the show That's that right. I find absolutely insane. So it's like, I can't predict what might happen in five years in terms of my career, where it could go or that kind of thing. But I'm enjoying it. But it's been, it's been crazy the last five, you know, as in to, to go from someone who at one point couldn't make phone calls or go into shops because you'd be afraid of being shouted at or, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Was a fr- I remember I went to a chiropractor once and uh, it was only recently and I was like, oh, I actually can't breathe. And he was like, yeah, tell me if you can't breathe. But it was more like, you're, you're I was just, just so I, nervous about upsetting him. I don't want like, to yeah. annoy you. Yeah. My face is purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, just text you. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's been a big leap in terms of... Are you, a control, yeah. are you a controlling, not sorry, controlling, emotionally, <laughs> but are you a control freak with your work? Are you very organized? Mm. Are you very much a details person? Do you... Those videos take you a long time, I believe. That. Yeah, yeah. I would be. And I, when I started working with other people, I was very much, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work with someone else. Yeah. Because I'm very much someone, if there is no clear leader, I will step in and be like, I'm going to organize this, you know. Because, you're, you're that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I enjoy or want power or anything like that. It's more just like, I feel like this has to be done, so I'm going to do it. Well, on behalf you know? of people who aren't like that, Michael Fry, yeah. can I just say it's the likes of yourself that have stepped forward that have gotten the rest of us right. through life. <laughs> so on behalf of us sheep, yeah. thank you so much thank, uh, yeah. <laughs> for dragging our lazy, non-committal, quiet and shy arses yeah. through life. So don't ever say that with an apology in your voice. I suppose of the famous five or six mm. of, do you mind being called internet comedians or is that? I think it's fine. I think pandemic or COVID comedians is where we draw the line because like we is were things. Thing? Is that Yeah, as in like. Why? Because you're only famous because of. Yeah, that's a, that was one of Killian's jokes actually. Oh. We're only famous because thousands of people died. And it's like, that's no, that's not actually. It. It's just that we were making content when panel shows and comedies weren't being made professionally. Mm. And because there was no news, a lot of things, a lot of the time people just sent each other videos to keep each other. Yeah. But you know, and we were just the ones making it. But yeah, internet comedians. Yeah. So there's quite a few. It's quite a wave of us, really. There's yourself, yeah. Killian, Sean, Sean Burke, Justine Stafford. Yeah. Peter McCann. I'm missing. Yeah. Emmador and Tony Emma Cantwell, Dorn. Shane yeah. Danburn. Tony Cantwell, of course. He, yeah. Hannah Mamelis. There's a big group of us who are big internet people. Yeah. And that transition then again, that parlayed itself into the more traditional side of showbiz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah into yeah. getting your own sketch show. Yeah. Which I loved. Absolutely Okay, loved. thank you, yeah. How was that experience going from how you make your comedy, mm. as 
internet comedians. I just want to call it comedians. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I don't like it. As comedians that, I suppose, share the, most of their work on the internet, mm. to go into the traditional media of television, was there any fears on your collective parts that they were going to try and stick their oar in or try and, even the filming processes, mm. you know, the DIYness of your videos yeah. is a lot of the charm and the power and the enjoyment of that is because you've done it all yourself. It's in your bedroom. Yeah. So I suppose the rawness of all that, did you feel you were going to lose some of that by having to deal with yeah, I, RTE? I think I think so, yeah. Now, we were with Wonky Chair, who are an independent production company. Okay, so. They make Connell's Kicks or whatever. But it's for RTE and James Carter, who was involved, was in Republic Catelli and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think like we were allowed to do what we wanted to an extent. We dealt with a lot of people, so you work with lots of stuff. And I also just wanted to experiment. So I had big set pieces. I had, I had a shootout and I had a zombie apocalypse. And I was just very much, I want to do this and see what I can get out of a larger scale production. Yeah. So that's what I did. And yeah, I think, look, it's a sketch show. Not everything works. If you watch any sketch show, there's stuff that you don't get. The hit you kind of don't, you know. I think it, it yeah. hit the hit rate that most do, even the fast show, some of my favorite sketch shows. You look back at them now going, wow. Yeah. It's the hardest form, I think. It is. And it's for consistency. But I think sketch comedy, and I know this is so counterintuitive to what I actually want to do, I think it does belong on the internet now because you look at clips of things. So there's some clips, like No Worries If Not, we didn't get huge amount of attention on social media, but some of the clips on TikTok or whatever did really well, you know? And then it's suddenly like, I want to watch the show or whatever, but it just works better when you have one thing that people might like rather than sending, sitting someone down for half an hour to a feed they have no control over. And I think that's really, people's brains are different now because they can scroll through videos. If something doesn't interest them, they skip it, but they don't pay any heed to it. Whereas when you watch a half hour and you don't like something and you're like, oh, that's shite. I never you know? thought of that. Yeah. So it's, and like our, my attention span is yeah. dreadful. Our stand-up is like that as well. So we have different bits to our stand-up. It's not an hour of me and Killian standing there on our own. It's music, it's bits, that kind of stuff. We love a variety of things, but I think it's because I'm used to watching such a variety of things all day, every day. And so what's your social media diet like on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Do you use it for inspiration, distraction? Do you just see what the competition's up to? Or are you seeing which way the trends are going, what people are finding funny, what's getting the likes and the hits? Yeah, sometimes you look at the news and you might have something in there that you could make fun of or whatever. A lot of the time, I think the less you spend on it, probably the better, because it does rot your brain a bit. And I think you have to have a life outside of it to find inspiration or yeah. whatever. But you can find parodies and stuff like that. I don't, I wouldn't even say there's competition between any of us either. It's very much the internet is big enough for everyone. Yeah. And if someone likes Sean, they're going to like me or they're going to like Killian or one of us. But um, you all have your own flavor as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I see how people would several of us, but not some others, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm on it too much. TikTok oh. is, I could be on TikTok and blink and it's two hours. I have a real problem with yeah. TikTok. So I need, I need to limit Two, three my hours gone. Yeah. Because like it knows me so well now, the algorithm has me to a T, you know, Frightening. trying to stay away from that. But yeah, it's just, it's my job. It's in my pocket. So and yeah. how are you finding getting recognized? It's really lovely. Everyone's really nice. Yeah. You know, um, like, yeah, it's all people who know you from the internet, who know your stuff and think you're really funny or they wouldn't come over. So it's no bad experiences of drunken Egypt. Oh, like people get drunk. Do you know what I mean? But it's like trying to be, it's just being nice to people. Like sometimes they're way too drunk, they get way too close to you and they stay too long or whatever. But the you minute you're characters then you get, oh, do the voice or do this or do that or... No, or do not really. Selfies. It's usually just for selfies and then to tell me on gas. And then they might say the same thing over and over again. Uh, but you just be nice because the minute you're not nice, it's suddenly a thing. So it's... that's Because yeah. Aaron is so small. Yeah. In that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just but, takes a couple no, of words. nobody away. means any harm. You know, no. that kind of thing. Yeah. Michael, look, it's been an absolute joy and an honour and a privilege. You know, needless to say, I, like countless others, have watched your journey and your story 
with genuine joy. You feel so relatable. Yeah. Okay. You know, I know. You, well, <laughs> yeah. Just that's your humor, but also that your persona, it's sincere. It's, mm. you know, incredibly smart. You're a great comedic brain. And where are you going to go next? As you said, there's no point even asking because you, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But wherever it is, it's going to be a huge success. We all know it and we all can't wait to be part of it and then go up to you in the pub and make an absolute nuisance of it. <laughs> I'm going to ask the dreaded question. Uh-huh. Of all the three records that you've spoken about today, we started off with LaRue, we had Sofian Stevens, and then No So, I'm afraid, as you your star ascends into infinity, you can only bring one with you. Which one is it and why? Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to have to go LaRue. I think it's my really? OG. Yeah, I think if I was in a desert island and I had, is it, not that this is redacted, what? like another podcast. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, never heard of if, it. it. Yeah. It's, it With has, a disc. It has loads of stuff. It has it's everything you it's need. Got it's got Swiss Army knife. It's slow. It's got, it's, yeah. I For think, survival. Yeah, I think I do. I know it better. I've had it longer, so I, I think I if, guess, if I was to bring Sufjan with me, I think I'd dehydrate from crying all the time. From crying. Yeah. And I need to conserve my water, yeah. as it were. So that would be a wise tactical choice as well, yeah. Michael Fry, it's been an absolute honour. Thank you so much for sharing your time and above all, sharing your recorded history. Thank you. Well, that's it. That was me in conversation with the great, the brilliant, the hilarious Mr. Michael Fry. What a fascinating man he is. He's forged such an amazing niche and career for himself as part of this so-called new wave of internet comedians. Such a tough business, as we all know to get through, to survive in. And how he has kept that brilliant brain on his shoulders is an absolute wonder. But he has, and there's a huge and exciting future ahead of him. And I can't wait to see what he gets up to next. Now, if any of Michael's choices, including, were, we had some LaRue, of course, the great Sufjan Stevens, and a new artist to me, and to many of you, I'm sure, the brilliant Noso. If any of them fancy your tickle, or tickle your fancy even, you can buy any of those records that Michael has mentioned on the podcast, or even one you love yourself. We would love if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. Simply could not do this without their generosity, so do check it out. Fully 100% Irish and all online, therecordhub.com. And hopefully you enjoyed my chat and our little crate dive together today and you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that where I'll be hearing from a delightful mix of homegrown and international talent we'll have actors writers broadcasters artists comedians and if they've got something to say I'll be hearing it and letting you have a listen to some of their choices for their recorded history oh and speaking of guests next week I am joined by nothing short of an Irish music legend and as luck would have it one of the soundest sound makers around I will be joined by the great Paul Noonan to chat about his wonderful career his recent and related career change into music therapy and of course the three records that have meant the most to him throughout his life I've been Ed Smith this has been recorded history you have been amazing now all you have to do is hit follow and become a weekly listener I thank you Talk to you all next week. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.